0: We're going to be looking at at, uh, Genesis chapter 34, and let me recount from what I talked about last week. This is an interesting chapter in that this is a chapter where where Jacob has settled in the land of Shechem, that's within the promised land, and this story is taking place about eight to ten years after he has left Paddan Aram, after he has left the place where he had that interaction with Laban. So we're about eight to ten years later. And you're going to see what happens after eight or ten years. It's interesting what happens, how much change has occurred after eight or ten years. Uh, the other thing to note about this chapter is in the whole chapter there is no mention of God. There is not a single time that the word God is mentioned. There's not a single use of the name of God in this chapter as opposed to chapter 35 where the name God, the word God is used 11 times and God's name is used 11 times. In this chapter, you see real problems that come into a family and this is a family that has over time drifted from calling upon God's name and that happens. That happens sometimes in people's lives where where you 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 see things happening and and you can drift away from God from a time, and you see how the enemy moves in as these people start moving away from God, so his daughter Dinah we know he has he has eleven sons at this point, point. and he has at least one daughter, probably more Dinah's the only one mentioned, but we know from genesis chapter chapter thirty seven I believe it is that that uh um there is a mention that, that he had other daughters. But the only one that's mentioned is Dinah. And she goes off and she visits the daughters of the land. While she's there visiting, in verse 2 of that chapter, it says that Shechem, who's the prince of the land, the son of the king of Shechem. Now Shechem is a city. It's not a big city. It's not like a city of Houston. It's, I've seen some of these cities, the ruins of some of these cities. And some of them are quite small. You would say maybe 500 people lived in that city. We don't know the size of it but it's not a city like cities of today. The prince of that land took her and raped her, but he was deeply attracted to her. It wasn't like when Amnon had raped Tamar and then he hated her right after he raped her. In this case, he is deeply attracted in verse 3 and he tells his father, get me this woman as a wife. And princes, the the children of rich people are used to getting what they want. So his father goes and he appeals to Jacob and he presents this to Jacob. He says that, that my, my daughter would, would like, my, my son would like to marry your daughter, even though he had just raped her. And this is all in the same day. The sons come in and they hear this and they're really quite upset. And in verse 13 of chapter 34, it says, but Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit because he had defiled Diner, their sister. They, they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent. If you will become like us, and that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. And we will, make, we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. So he really had Shechem, because Shechem loved this girl, and young men will do all sorts of things for a girl that they love. And so so uh, uh, what happened here is that is that uh, the young man, it says in verse 19, the young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So the most respected of the princes, the most respected son is a rapist, which shows you that the moral standards of, of the Canaanites was not very high at all. But he got circumcised that very same day. The same day he raped her, the same day he made the appeal, the same day that he he uh, he went ahead and, and uh, got circumcised. And then they go back, they appeal to the men of the land as we talked about last time. And they said, look, the only way we're going to do this is, is that is that uh, um, uh, in verse 22, it says it says uh, only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us to become one people that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock become uh, will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. So when the, when Hamar and his son Shechem said, look, the whole city is going to have to be circumcised in order for this deal to go through. I'll bet the men were not real excited about this. But then Hamar said, look, their livestock is going to become our livestock. So so Jacob was extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. And uh, he had so much livestock and so many assets that these people thought that they could get part of it by going through with this deal. So it says in verse 24, and all who went out of the gate of this city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. All in the same day, when the rape took place, the appeal took place, Shechem gets circumcised and all the men in that city get circumcised all in the same day. Now we're going to start reading in verse 25 of, of Genesis chapter 34, verse 25. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two, the two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came also upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? So what happens is, is that uh, on the third day, so say, say the rape took place on a Monday, Shechem makes the appeal to his father, Hamor. Hamor and Shechem make the appeal to Jacob and to his sons, all on that Monday. The whole city of men of the Canaanites end up getting circumcised on that Monday. Now we are on the third day. This would mean in the early hours of Wednesday morning, on the third day. And, and so this is happening, say, on a Monday night, these men are getting circumcised on, the, on early Wednesday morning. So they're groaning on Tuesday night. They're in pain. Now, you say, how can two men go into a city and kill the entire city of men? How can two men do this? Well, let me give you a scenario on how this might have happened. It's not written on how it happened, but let me tell you how it could have happened. All of these men are in great pain, and it's nighttime, and they may have taken an anodyne. An anodyne is a painkiller. But in the old days, painkillers weren't like painkillers today. Painkillers also really dullened your senses and your mind, much like if you were to drink a lot of alcohol to kill off the pain. So you could drink a lot of alcohol, you could take these alkaloids. So they come in, and, and plus men, when men are, are, are in pain, they groan a lot. Women don't groan so much, men do. So if somebody comes in your tent and starts putting a sword through you, and you groan, everyone in the city is used to groaning from the other little homes that are that are in that city. So these men kill every man in that city, and then the other sons go, and they loot the whole city. So they go and they loot the whole city there and, uh, uh, and and then they take care of it in that way. And and so it was these two brothers, Simeon and Levi, who did this dastardly deed. And then they looted the whole city and they took the now all these slaves, it says, and they looted all their wealth in verse twenty nine and their little ones and their wives. So they took the little ones and wives as slaves so now Jacob is this slave owner in his family. And now Jacob appeals to his sons. He says, what have you done? You've made me odious in the eyes. These Canaanites, these parasites, they're going to come together and they're going to kill us off. Look at the disproportionate way that they dealt with these people. The daughter was raped. It wasn't even like that. they came into the, their home and grabbed the daughter out. The daughter went among the land. I'm not condoning the rape, not at all. But this was way disproportionate. And look at the way they answer their father back when he says to them, he says that that they're going to attack us and kill us. What have you done in verse 30? They say, but they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? And I was explaining this to, to some, some students one day. I was saying, look, you know, on Twitter, this is what happens. Somebody says one little thing and the community will jump on them. And to say, just for that thing the person said, they ought to lose their job, they shouldn't be allowed to work again, shame on them. And this, this, this total disproportionate thing, just for, for one little thing, and the person says, look, I, I didn't even mean it in that way. But, but it's, it's, it's so disproportionate on what comes upon them. And then one of these young students said to me, well, not all young people are bad. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You're doing just what I said. I just, I'm just trying to show you that it can be so disproportionate and you're taking it to the other extreme. So what Jacob was trying to do was bring them back to the median. He was saying you didn't have to go and kill a whole city of men because one man raped a girl. He wants to bring them back to the median. That okay, maybe you you would deal with that man who raped her, but not kill the whole city. And they act as if they say, well... So you're saying it's okay for him to have made our sister into a harlot? No, Jacob said, no, that's not what I'm saying. So they take the whole thing and they move it all the way to this side to say that he's condoning the rape. He's not condoning the rape, but they've brought it all the way to the other side. What you see here is this disobedience in children. Jacob is a godly man. He really is a godly man. I know that the Gentile pastors have a way of, of painting him out as a conniver. God speaks of him, and we've talked about this in our former lessons. God speaks of him and puts him in the same light, uses the same word that he had used, the same word that he had used for, uh, uh, for, for, for Noah, the same word that he had used of Job, he used of Jacob. Jacob is a very godly man. And Jacob endured a lot at the hands of Laban, his uncle. And Jacob was following his mother's direction when, when, when the, many of the things happened. Jacob was a very godly man. And you see how ungodliness moved into his home, ungodliness moved into his children during this 8 to 10 year period. And the result of that, the result of that is that the, the cause of that may be exactly what the author is trying to point out here. When Moses is penning this, when Moses is writing this, and you say, well, how do we know Moses wrote this? Because Jesus said he did. Because Jesus in John chapter 5 says, said, you do not believe Moses, that's why you don't believe me. The end of John chapter 5. He says, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for Moses wrote of me. Moses penned this. And Moses takes chapter 34. There's no mention of God in this chapter. Never is God mentioned. No mention of God or of His name. When God leaves the home, things start going wrong. Speak all the time of God in your home. Speak all the time of the goodness of God, the mercies of God. Use the name of Jesus over and over again. Let God's name be mentioned in your home. Let God's name be mentioned. When there's no mention of God, these kids start going astray. And what was the result of that? If you look in... in, in uh, Let's, let's look in, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob gets to the end of his life and he's blessing his children, what he says to Simeon and Levi are this. In Genesis chapter 49 verse 5, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So instead of blessing them, he cursed them. At the end of his life, he cursed them. He says, "That let not my soul enter into their counsel. He says, because they slew men in their anger. In their anger they slew men. This was, this, the anger just got a hold of them and it ended up slaying, they ended up slaying men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. This is an interesting thing. God cares about animals. He never says that we shouldn't, we're not allowed to eat animals. On the contrary, he never says this. But how we care for animals could have a great effect on us. He says, because in their self-will they lamed oxen. He said, cursed be their anger. For it is fierce. Anger will get hold of a person and destroy a person. And, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. It's interesting. That was a prophecy that was given by Jacob. And neither of those two had land given to them in the promised land. If you look at a map of the promised land and the different tribes of Israel, you'll never see Levi. Levi never had a tribe of his own. Never had a, never had a tribe. They were dispersed. Simeon was given land down near the Negev desert land, but if you look on later maps, that has gone away. Simeon no longer exists. Simeon was 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 uh, subsumed by Judah. All the land of Simeon was subsumed by Judah, so that that all of that Negev that was originally given to Simeon was lost. Those two never got got the land. And what I want to do is I want to I want to begin to look at what happens with anger, what anger can do to a man, uh, and and how we need to walk in forgiveness. So so what I want you to do is look in in Matthew chapter twenty eight. Let's see what Jesus says. Let's see what Jesus says. No no not not Matthew twenty eight. Go to uh, Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Jesus says in verse fourteen. Matthew six fourteen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is a powerful verse, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive others, Jesus says this, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, you your then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus said, His Father will not forgive us if we do not forgive others. We are mandated to forgive. As believers in Christ, our calling is higher. Our calling is higher than the calling to the unbeliever. We are mandated to walk in forgiveness. This is a mandate from God. We must walk in forgiveness. Or else what happens is anger consumes us. Anger that goes way beyond the offense. No matter what it is, we are commanded to forgive. And when God commands us to forgive, the outcome of being commanded to, for, for, to forgiveness is that we're able to forgive. God is able to give us forgiveness. That doesn't mean we have to like the person, but we forgive the transgression. We forgive it. I want to look at another pers- portion in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to start reading from verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 I'm going to read a portion and then I'll paraphrase part of it. This is the Gadarean demoniac. It is amazing what can get hold of a person. Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the uh, Gadarenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So this is pretty extreme now. Here is this man in these mountains. This is in a, this is in a part of, of the countryside. This is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is in present day Jordan, uh, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the mountains there. And, and, uh, uh, there was this decapolis. There were ten cities there. And, and, uh, uh, there was this man who was just filled with demons, angry, angry. People couldn't contain him. And I'm telling you, you may, You may not believe in demons filling people or demons filling filling believers. I have nothing to do with that. I'm not addressing that. What I'm saying is, if anger enters our heart, it takes over as if there had been demons there. It just takes over. When anger fills a heart, it gets it festers and it gets worse and worse. This man could not be bound. This man could not be contained. He could he couldn't he couldn't deal with this anymore. He couldn't he couldn't contain this anymore. It was just eating him up. It was just eating him up to have this sort of thing going on in his life, to have this sort of anger, and anger will do this to you. Anger will eat you alive. These men, Simeon and Levi took this with such anger, such anger that, that he, uh, he, he, he it just consumed them that they had to kill an entire city of men. And they were cursed as a result of this. He ended up cursing his own two sons as a result of this. Here you see this man is is uncontrollable. If you don't deal with these anger problems, it'll destroy your marriage, it'll destroy your work, it'll destroy your life. Jesus commands us to walk in forgiveness. The command is there. So it says in, in verse 6 of Mark chapter 5, Jesus, seeing from a distance, uh, uh, he ran and he Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and he bowed down before him, shouting with a loud voice. He said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high, high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus had been commanding this unclean spirit out of the man. He'd been commanding him, come out of this man. He'd been commanding him to come out of this man. Isn't it interesting that it says Jesus had been commanding him. You would think you would think that that uh, um, that just being able to to uh, uh, Jesus just speaks one word that the demons would come out. You would think that the demons would immediately come out with just one word. Jesus says, boom, it has to happen. Happened all the time this way with Jesus. Why would Jesus in this instance have to say it repeatedly? Well, maybe it's because sometimes we have to say it repeatedly. If you've ever dealt with trying to cast demons out of people, sometimes you have to say it more than once. And it's not because we're, we're... Look, in this case, Jesus was saying it more than once for our sake. Jesus could have just dealt with this demon in an instant. Jesus chose not to. But this man came running to him. He says, what do I have to do with you? It's interesting. Sometimes you, you, you go and talk to people about their anger and you say... You know this anger is going to hurt you in life. This anger is going to really consume you. You don't want to you don't want to have to live this way with this anger in your heart. And they say, "Well, what do you, what do I have to do with you?" What is this?" And, and so they'll oppose you. So anyway, Jesus ends up casting out these demons. And let's pick it up in verse 15 of Mark chapter 5. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and, he, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened that the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So Jesus dealt with the demon. Jesus dealt with the anger. This guy used to just beat himself with stones till he was bloody. Jesus can deal with this sort of anger. If we let unforgiveness foster, it will destroy us. We see two sons of Jacob, get their lives cursed because of anger. I've seen men destroy their marriages because of anger. Women can destroy marriages because of anger and unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness is there. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be forgiveness. And so, so uh, then what happens is this man is totally changed. When Jesus enters into this life, this man is totally changed. And he's sitting down... He's properly clothed. He's in his right mind. And people were just amazed. He wanted to travel with Jesus. He didn't want to stay in that city. He wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, I want you to stay here and, and just tell them what great things God has done for you. And as a result of that, the next time Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee, his reception is much different. It's much more welcoming than being sent away. It may well have been, because of the witness of that man. Because of that man's witness. So what I want to do is I want to I want to look now at one other verse here. And now we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. What I'm doing today is I am inviting you. I'm inviting you to come. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus today. If you do not know Jesus, I urge you to know Him. I urge you to know Him. If you know Him... Come to him all the more, because we can know Jesus. We can given prayed the prayer and given our life to the Lord. But if God does not become a part of our life, a part of our home, a part of our fellowship, it's as if God never entered into our family. This man, this this is a period in chapter thirty four of Genesis, where he was this was started about eight to ten years after he had come out of Paddan and Aram. Eight to ten years after he had had this experience with God after he came out of the land. Eight to ten year period, no mention of God in this chapter. If there's no mention of God in your home, I urge you, start talking about God. Bring God back into your family, God back into your fellowship. If you're not married and you're alone, bring God into your home by picking up the Word of God and spending time in it. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Jesus says, just Jesus speaking, Matthew 11:28, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, you're weary, you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says, in the midst of what's going on with this coronavirus and the things that are happening, the change and life. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is urging you to come. If you don't know Jesus today, I urge you to know Him. I'm urging you to come to Him so that you could know Him this very day. I'm going to pray. And I urge you to invite the Lord into your life this day. And if you don't know the Lord and you pray this prayer or you're thinking of praying this prayer, I want you to send me an email after this. Uh, and, uh, I will, I will, you and I will set up a private zoom session, just you and I together. And, and, uh, uh, just, just last week I led a guy to the Lord just through zoom and we'll do it again this week. You just, you just send me a message, send me an email to tour at rice.edu and we, I will arrange a zoom conference with you. You tell me what part of the world you're in and we will get together and we'll have this conference together. If you know the Lord and you have you've just haven't been enjoying times with Him, I urge you to get back into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Start reading the New Testament. Start in Matthew. And just start reading your way through. Just pick up reading where you left off the day before and read every day. Spend 15 minutes, but before you read, say, Lord, speak to me from this Word. Speak to me. Then watch the Lord speak to you. Watch Him speak into your life. So few believers in Christ even ever understand what it is to have God speaking into their life by picking up the scriptures and meditating on the word of God. Say, Lord, speak to me. And he speaks over and over again from his word. He will speak to you. He'll speak to you. So I'm going to pray and I want you to invite the Lord in your life or invite the Lord into your home if, he's, if he just hasn't been a part of that. If you don't know the Lord, repeat after me. And if you know the Lord, repeat after me anyway. It's good to repeat this. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me, Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord and I believe that he has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For forgiving my sins. Thank you Lord. And Lord forgive me. For not inviting Jesus into my home. And using the name of God in my home enough. Lord let me do that more often. So that my children could hear the name of God. Over and over again. So that they could hear. The word of God being read. Lord, come into our homes, I pray. Come into my home, I pray. Lord Jesus, your blessing be upon those who are here listening. Lord, I pray for your grace. Your grace upon them this day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.